listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Christy, for that reading. So, of course, I'm given this, and the first thing that I have to say. (laughs) I was overcome with gratitude. If you don't know me and you don't know my story, you don't know that I grew up here at this church and I left for approximately 20 years and I was so nervous walking in the first time and I was received with nothing but glad hearts and giant hugs and I appreciate that, thank you. And I was going to attempt to start with like funny one-liners, but that's all I kept coming to was my gratitude. So thank you. We're going to shift into our verses for today. And as we always stress, remembering context is so important to fully understanding scripture, even when it might seem straightforward. So I'm going to situate us back in Mark, where Pastor Dan left us last week. He preached on raising up the rich man's daughter and healing the poor outcast woman, restoring both of them into full community. And Mark was making a statement that all people, no matter their stature, no matter their wealth, their personal status, whether they were clean or unclean, Jesus was going to be their source of healing if we allow him to be. Jesus is an equalizer between us all. He was highly sought after by both the woman and the girl's father. So we're coming out of where Jesus was 
being followed and sought and loved. And now he left that place and he goes into his hometown. And that's where our scripture starts today. And his disciples, they followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all of this? Where, what is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? They start out being amazed and astounded at what they're hearing, and now what they're hearing from him. They have watched this man grow from childhood, and here he comes back. So I had to go in search of how big Nazareth actually was. Um, by most approximations, I found um, that they're guesstimating between 400 and 450 people. Uh, there were geographical reasons why that was. You can see it's kind of in a valley. And it was a fairly small valley. It did have a water supply. And if you visit the site now, it's called Mary's Well. Um, but the town wasn't located on a roadway. So people didn't really go through Nazareth unless they were specifically looking to go there. And so it remained small until the 19th century. So knowing how small towns are, it's likely that everyone knew everyone. I'm going to use Kendall, Gary's hometown, as an example. When we moved back, it has a population of 2,600. Um, this was something that was, it cracked me up. Everywhere I went, and I would, you know, all my little kids were in tow. Everywhere I went in Kendall, they knew who we were, where we came from, and they had to have a conversation about it. <laughs> Every single time. Um, it cracked me up. I wasn't prepared for that. And so here we are in a town of 2,600 in a very disconnected society, and they knew us. So there's no way that Jesus wasn't known by every person in Nazareth when he returned. These people have watched him grow, and they've probably watched um, him follow his father Joseph around, learning his trade that he was expected to follow. Um, there's a chance they might not have heard the story of his birth, because remember that happened in Bethlehem. Um, and there's a chance that they have no idea how Mary was visited by an angel. Um, and they might not know who John the Baptist is, because Mary does, um, they didn't live in that same town. So here, here Jesus comes back, and they really only know him as a child growing up to now. And so as he's teaching, the people go from astonished and amazed in a hot second to belief or disbelief. Um, in verse 3, it says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Like that. It happened so quick. So the word used for took offense in Greek is skandalizo. You guys want to say that one? It's a fun one. Skandalizo. Yeah, so what does that sound like? Scandalous. So the actual meaning is took offense. However, the base 
is the same base as the word scandal. This is a scandal in their eyes. This is a scandal according to Old Testament law as well as culture. They have watched Jesus grow, and he was expected to get married, to settle down, take care of his parents and his siblings. He is supposed to be a good boy, but instead they see him as having chosen the life of a vagrant, a traveling missionary. He's wandering around and performing miracles, healing and preaching. He's not performing the duties that he was expected to. They are absolutely offended, upset by his lack of duty to marry Joseph and his siblings. And we go on to see Jesus say in verse 4 that prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. Jesus knew that this was going to be the case. He was prepared for it. Um, I'm going to actually bring up Luke's gospel of this same story because it shares with us what Jesus actually read in the synagogue. And that's from Luke 4. I'm going to read 16 to 22. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? So no wonder they were upset. Here this person they knew well, they were very familiar with, they had watched turn into a man, is actually procrastinating proclaiming that he's the Messiah. They probably thought he was losing his mind. If you're bored later and you want to keep reading Luke 4, you'll see that they actually cast him out of the city. And um, it, doesn't, it ends fine for him. He's able to walk away. However, it was serious. They were really seeing the scandal that this was. We will continue on in Mark, verse 5. He could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them, and he was amazed at their unbelief. And they went from amazement to rejection, and Jesus could not even find a lot of people with enough faith to heal them other than a few, so he left. He knew his time on earth was limited, he didn't have time to go back over and over and try to convince Nazareth that he was truly the Messiah. Instead, we see in the second half of verse 6, then he went about among the villages teaching. He's moving on. He's going to the other villages around Nazareth. Maybe others had heard of him, but they didn't have the same level of familiarity they didn't have the comfort knowing him personally prior to his preaching. 
Next, he teaches his disciples to do the same. We're going to read the last of our verses, 7 through 13. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you, and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. There are a couple big things to note here. The disciples have only really been walking with Jesus for a short time at this point, but they've witnessed enough miracles and have been following him, learning at every chance they could get. And Jesus knew that they were ready. He knew his time was short and he wanted as many people as would listen to his message, so he sent out his disciples in twos. Why do you think he sent them in pairs? Two or more are gathered. That's a really good idea. Any other thoughts on why he would think he would send them in pairs? Safety. That's another good, especially since he was just, in Luke's account, almost tossed off a cliff. Do you know that that's not crazy? I read that in a commentary, too, but I did not put that in here. <laughs> but yeah, the idea that Noah, he had twos come to him, and now Jesus is sending them out by twos. My personal thought is that he knew that we need each other. Um, he warns them that they are going to face rejection. So when we're dealing with rejection, and when they're dealing with this rejection, they have each other, so they wouldn't have to go it alone. And the uh, last thing is they weren't to bring anything with them. They were to trust that God would provide housing and food and all of their needs. And there's just such simplicity in that that I just had to bring it up because that is amazing. They're, the amount of faith that they had after just a few short months of walking with Jesus. And so now I'll address the oddest part of the verses. And again, context is key. Verse 11, if any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Um, this is odd for us. Normally we could just glaze over that, but the disciples would have understood this at a deeper level. Um, this is something that pious Jews would do as they were leaving Gentile cities or territories to show their separation from Gentile influences and practices. So when the disciples shook off the dust from their feet in a Jewish town, it's now a very vivid sign for these um, Jews that are saying, we are no longer going to be associating with you since you are now rejecting the Messiah. <clears throat> so the first half of our reading, Jesus is rejected after being highly sought, 
in the second half, the disciples are going out and they are going to be the ones experiencing this rejection. Despite all of it, people are still getting healed. People are still hearing the message of Christ. Um, I really loved the message version of verses 12 through 13. So, of course, I have to sh- I end up sharing the message version of things every time I preach. Um, so it says, Then the disciples were on the road. They preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. Right and left, they sent the demons packing. They brought wellness to the sick, anointing their bodies and healing their spirits. They preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. What does this look like? What have we been learning through the Gospel of Mark, and what can we take away from today's passages? I sat in those questions for weeks with these verses, just praying. So now I hope that you can feel my joyful urgency that I can tell you life can be radically different. All right, if you want to, there are sermon note pages if you want to write these down because I'm going to move into my takeaways for you guys. Um, First, we will be rejected. Jesus is rejected over and over and over in Scripture. Ultimate rejection, of course, is on the cross. Jesus tells his disciples what to do when they are rejected. I would say raise your hand if you've experienced rejection. However, I'm pretty sure it's all of us in the room. Um, in some way, shape, or form. And if not, you are so lucky to have never experienced this. And here, Jesus' own family and close friends are part of the group of people who are completely rejecting him. If you come from a difficult family of origin and you have tried to step out and do something different, you have experienced this deep hurt. Whatever the case may be for you as you've decided to follow Jesus, maybe stay clean and sober, drama-free, debt-free, however you are living your life different from your family, you have probably experienced this rejection deeply. If you haven't experienced it, I can tell you that it's really hard to swim upstream, to be different and think differently than those you have been with your whole life, to be different than those who just assume you are the same, that you think the same, and that you'll continue to act the same when they see you again. This is exactly what Jesus is walking into. He's no longer the carpenter's son. He has entered into the ministry phase of his life, but those around him, they were not ready for this. In your life, you may have people who are just not in the same place, who are not ready to think differently. You can share with them the truth of what you're living now. You can share with them how Jesus is changing you. 
You can share with them how you read and interpret scripture differently. Maybe what you've learned in 12-step groups or what you've heard in small groups or at church. You can tell them what your therapist told you. You can give them a list of books to read. You can fight. You can argue. But none of this will change their mind. Can I get an amen? (laughs) So what do we do? What do we do? We keep going back. We keep fighting. What does Jesus say? This is my second takeaway. Jesus says, move on. He did not stay in Nazareth, attempting to convince them to listen to him. If you go back to the Luke version, you're going to see how they really treated him and cast him out. Jesus was not welcome, and so he moved on. And maybe you've never experienced the deep rejection within your family, and I hope that you haven't, but I'm sure you've experienced getting yourself caught up in arguments with those around you, Uh, maybe over political beliefs or religious convictions. How many of you have gotten drawn into Facebook debates I want to encourage you to drop these arguments and be like Jesus. Shake the dust off your feet in a sense and just move on. You get to choose with whom you associate. You get to choose with whom you argue and whether or not it's worth it. You get to choose who you spend your time with. You don't get to choose who your family is, but you do get to choose how much time you spend with them. You don't get to choose who you work with, but you do get to choose how many conversations you have with coworkers that you disagree with. So of course we can't choose all aspects of our life, but we can choose how we react to the circumstances. If you need help with this, Get yourself a good therapist and start working through it. It is worth the hard work. So I want you to make sure that you're hearing what I am saying. When you get rejected personally, you can move on and not continue to associate with specific people or not to continue in specific arguments. I am not saying to be silent in the face of evil. Not at all. There's a time and a place to stand up for things, though. To protest peacefully, to stand up for others, but taking the time to discern when and where that takes place is so important. Wasting our time and energy and getting lost in the noise of life around us may not be the best outlet and use of our compassion and our energy. Finding the right way to stand up for others, the right way to make a statement is so important. As a side note, um, as you're watching the news and seeing the images coming out of the Ukraine and our hearts are breaking, remember compassion fatigue is real. As with anything, we can get wrapped up in the hurts of those that we see on the news and in the articles we read and in the conversations that we have, and we can lose our ability to really be effective and healthy people in the everyday life stuff. We can lose our ability to live out of the fruits of the Spirit, 
and we can lose our ability to focus on those people and those hurts right around us. We need to take care of ourselves and our immediate family and friends well in the midst of the world's difficulties. We can choose how much time in the media we submit ourselves to. We can choose what media outlets are the best for us. And we can choose what goes into our hearts and our minds in order that good keeps coming out too. This is something that personally I have been experiencing the last few weeks especially. Um, And I actually changed my phone settings. My kids have all these settings and limits on their devices and I thought, well, I'm an adult, I'll be fine. And the last couple weeks, I've just found myself scrolling and reading article after article and it was really affecting me. So I personally have just put limits this last week on my Facebook. So I have, I'm learning that I know how much it benefits me. And I know I'm a better person, I know I'm a better mom, I'm more present and available in ways that I had allowed myself to not be. Um, So that might mean I don't see your posts on Facebook. If there's ever a real thing that you want to make sure I see, text me. Um, I can't be available to my Facebook friends the same way that I want to be available to you guys. Which moves me perfectly to our last point. We are not meant to do life alone. Jesus came to his hometown with his disciples. He brought his friends with him everywhere he went. And then when he sends his disciples out to spread the gospel, he knew they needed each other. When we are up against difficult things, we need someone with us, someone who's in our court, who will speak truth into our life, but also encourage us to get back up and keep going. If you feel like you need someone in your court, we have opportunities for you. You can join a small group, stay for potluck, Um, There's a group of us on Tuesdays that go out for coffee and lunch and laughter. Um, And you can really allow yourself to be known and to know them. We need each other. Um, If you are walking through major life changes like sobriety or working through deep hurts with a therapist, You really need other like-minded individuals who are going to walk into situations with you. For some of us, that might be a spouse. For others, it might be a best friend or a child. Um, For others, start with just your counselor, and that's good. But when you're ready for more people that you can count on, there are people sitting all around you here that will have your back once they get to know the real you. There was a time in my life when I didn't realize how much I needed this. And I can tell you that now, as years have gone by, I've never been disappointed for allowing the right people into my life. The ones that I've just clicked with. I've never been disappointed for truly loving others and allowing them to love me. So, summing up our points, You will be rejected. Yay! (laughs) But you get to choose to move on 
and make sure that somebody is with you through it all. Please join me in prayer. God, I just know someone here has been struggling with this with me. Lord, we know that I too struggle with being rejected and moving on. Help us all to have your heart, to increase our peace, our kindness, and our love. Increase our discernment of our time and our energy. Help us know when to move on and when to keep fighting. And help us, Lord, to be your hands and feet in our broken world and to see your kingdom and your hand all around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.